Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. While you're standing, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Job chapter 1. Amen. While you're standing. Grateful to God for all of you who are in church with us today on, uh, what's this holiday? Labor Day. Labor Day weekend. Amen. Grateful to God for you. Amen. How many of y'all know that when the saints take Labor Day off, God is still working on your behalf? Amen. How many of y'all are glad that you serve a God that doesn't take vacation days? Amen. Amen. God doesn't get busy at the last minute and find something to do and miss you. Amen. He's always looking out for me. Amen. I'm grateful to God for that. Amen. Job chapter 1. Beginning at verse 20, when you have it, won't you say, I've got it. Amen. If you don't have a Bible, we brought one to you. It's on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshiped. And in worshiping, he said, naked came I. That's an interesting way to start a worship song. From my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I shall return there. The Lord gave. Everyone say the Lord gave. Say it again. Say the Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of our God. I'd like to preach for a little while using as a subject when it all falls down. Amen. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Job is an interesting passage of Scripture or book of the Bible because although it is placed before the Psalms in its position, it is actually the chronologically oldest book of the Bible. Job is the first and oldest religious text written. And in its writing, people have debated whether or not Krishna Job was actually a real person. They've debated whether or not Job actually existed or whether his existence was one that was given to us as an allegory or as an example of how to endure persecution in the name of God. It's interesting that even though we don't know with certainty whether or not Job actually lived, whether or not he was a real person, if you read the book of Job, especially during the midst of this pandemic, 
it's easy to see that if he was not a real person, he surely had real problems. Because you can look at Job's life and identify with a person who has to deal with serving God when everything around him seems to be falling down. And many of us, if we'd be honest, we'd have to testify that that's where we find ourselves in life right now. We're trying our best to hold it together when everything around us is falling down. Relationships are falling down. People whom you were close to, you find that now there is distance between you. People who you thought you could count on, you can't find them. People who you thought loved you seem like now they don't love you as much as you love them. And the relationship is falling sour because relationships uh, are falling down. But not only are relationships falling down in this season. The economy, our economic well-being seems to be falling down because whereas you used to be able to stretch a dollar a little bit further, now every month at the end of the month it seems like you got more bills left than you got money to pay them. And you find yourself robbing Peter as it were to pay Paul and then borrowing from Mary to get John paid. Y'all don't want to say nothing but the truth of the matter is this situation uh, that we're in with this pandemic has stretched us economically as a matter of fact, a jobs report just came out over the weekend, and it has been declared now that the economy added 43% less jobs than President Biden project projected that they would add this job cycle. Because no matter what you say, no matter how much you plan, life has a way of messing up your plans. But not only are we falling down relationally, not only are we falling down economically and monetarily, we're falling down spiritually. Because pastors all over the country. As a bishop, I cover pastors. I talk to pastors more uh, sometimes than I would like to. And I'm talking to pastors and they're lamenting to me because they're saying that bishop all over the country, people aren't coming to church anymore. Some of our most committed people, people that we thought really loved God and really wanted to serve him. Now that this pandemic uh, has shown its face and this Delta variant is rising up, people are not coming to church. And in in spite of what they say, they say that they're expressing caution by not coming to church, but they're not expressing that same caution about going to every other place. I was watching, uh, I'm a football fan, I was watching college football yesterday, and while I was watching uh, Alabama uh, beat the stew out of Miami, and while I was watching Ohio State play, and while I was watching Georgia uh, and Clemson play last night, the stadiums were packed to capacity, and yet uh, not even 24 hours later, churches in those same states, in those same cities are empty, just like this church, because people are, are falling down spiritually. The pandemic has revealed to us that people love comfort and ease more than they really love the Lord. People love their own preferences more than they really love Jesus, and the truth is, it is not that people are afraid of catching a virus, it is that the reality of a virus has now given people a reasonable excuse to say I'm not coming to church because now society and Christendom has made it acceptable for you not to come to church and whenever you have an excuse to do something that your flesh don't want to do you're going to take the excuse anyhow. That's why your giving fluctuates when your money is a little tight even though God says give and it shall be given. That's why you get smart with people when God tells you to turn the other cheek because clapbacks are in style right now. That's why you don't uh, love your enemies. You hate your enemies because revenge
revenge is in vogue right now because spiritually we are falling down. And the truth of the matter is no matter where you are, whether it is relationally, whether it is economically, whether it is spiritually, all of us, God help me, know what it's like to be falling down. But not only are we falling down relationally, not only are we falling down economically, not only are we falling down spiritually, but some of us are falling down personally in the private quarters of our prayer closet. We're on the verge of having a breakdown because we're having to weigh and navigate the, the turbul turbulent waters of life during this season. Is there anybody here who's honest enough to say that I've almost lost my mind a couple times since 2020? I, I, I've almost given up a couple times since this thing started. I've almost walked away a couple times because I've had to deal with so much loss and so much grief and so much pain and so much pressure and so much stress and so much anxiety and so much sickness in my body that if the uh, if the religious, if the relational pressure wasn't enough, if the economic pressure wasn't enough, if the spiritual pressure wasn't enough, I've got personal pressure that I don't even want to tell my neighbor about. As a matter of fact, uh, Bishop, the reason why I'm glad we're social distancing uh, is not because of the pandemic. I'm glad we're social distancing because I don't want to have to tell my neighbor or look at them and let them see what it is I'm going through. I don't want them to see how jacked up my relationships are behind closed doors. I don't want them to know how much I'm struggling. I don't want them to know how difficult my life has been because life has a way of falling down all around you. And I wish I had better news for you this morning. I wish I had something uh, more, uh, more optimistic to tell you. I wish that I could promise you that if you served God and if you lived right, life was never going to happen to you, that things were never going to transpire in your life in a negative way. I wish that I could tell you that, but the reality of your life is that no matter how much you serve God, eventually things are going to fall down around you. But it is not how things happen or what things happen to you that defines you as a child of God. It is how you respond to those things that define you as a child of God. Can you respond to God the right way when it all falls down? And that's really, really the lesson of our text. The Bible lets us know that there is a man in the Bible by the name of Job. The book is named after its principal character. Job is a rich man in a land called Uz. He is uh, the wealthiest man in his region. And the Bible says not only was he wealthy, but he was righteous. As a matter of fact, God defines Job as perfect. Yeah, uh, God doesn't have uh, that way of describing all of us. God will never describe you and I as perfect, but the Bible says Job did not call himself perfect. Job did not say he never messed up. Job did not declare his own religious perfection before God, but the Bible says that God says that Job was perfect and upright, and yet... In spite of his perfection, in spite of him doing everything that God commanded, in spite of him sacrificing for his children and praying every time he was supposed to pray and going to worship when he was supposed to go to worship and doing everything that the Lord commanded him to do, the Bible says that God handpicked him for suffering. Because the Bible said that there was a meeting in heaven, there was a roll call of the angelic host. And at the roll call, Krishana, this is what blows my mind. God calls an all-company meeting. All of his employees are called to show up. It is a mandatory company meeting. It's not one of the ones where you can send a message, say, hey, I ain't going to be there because I had vacation schedule. No, all 
the company has to come in. And when the company shows up, Brother Herman, the Bible says that there is an employee there that if I went by what religious folks said, the religious people told me that this employee got fired and yet in Job, he's still there. His name is Satan. Satan shows up at the employee meeting and not only does he show up at the employee meeting, just like every other employee, he has to give a report about what he's been doing. Oh, God, you missed your shouting point. Uh, you thought that the devil was God's enemy, but the devil is not God's enemy. The devil is God's devil. God help me. Uh, see, uh, the, the old preacher would preach that the devil is God's devil. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the name Satan is not his name. It is a title. It is in the Hebrew, Hashatan. It means the accuser. That is his job. Lucifer is his name. Satan is his job title. Just like my name ain't Bishop. My name is Joshua. I am a bishop, but on my birth certificate, it says Joshua Jerome Eggerson because that's my name. And Lucifer, the Satan, shows up and has to give a report to God on what he's been doing, which means that no matter how violently the devil is behaving in your life, he's not a free agent. He's operating under the control of an almighty God. I know that sounds too good to be true, and you don't really want to believe it, but I, I promise you I can prove it in the text. Because the Bible says that he says, Satan, where have you been? And Satan doesn't say, ain't none of your business where I've been. Satan says, uh, well, Lord, I've been going to and fro, about the earth and he's been seeking somebody that he can bother and torment and because God knows everything God says have you in the King James considered my servant Job now this messed me up until I learned how to read my Bible because when I read it it sounded like brother Herman that God was volunteering Job to be afflicted like, like God was volunteering Job to be afflicted. But when you really read it and you read it right, you understand that God is not volunteering Job to be afflicted. He is, pinpoint, he is pinpointing the fact that Satan has already decided to attack Job and he is giving him permission to do it. He's saying, yeah, I know you've been looking at him. I know you've been watching him in worship. I know you've been watching how he danced during the praise break and how he shout over all his troubles and his kids act crazy. He throw wild parties all the time, but he pray for his children. He ain't let his crazy wife drive him away from worship. He's, he, he's still been doing his thing. I know you like that. Uh, what you want to do to him? And so Satan then retorts to God. Does Job serve you for no reason? You put a hedge of protection around him because whenever you do right by God, God will do right by you. God, help me. Yeah, salvation is free, but blessings are conditional. Some, sometimes we have to understand that in order to live under the blessing of God, we have to live in obedience to God. If you are not living in obedience to God, you are not living under the blessing of God. So sometimes when you see good things happening to you and you are living in disobedience to God, those blessings aren't coming from God. They're coming from the devil because the the devil is trying to keep you in disobedience. That's why you got people that say, oh, I don't have to come to church and I can still be blessed. I don't have to serve in church and I can still be blessed. I don't have to tithe and I'm not broke all the time. It is because the devil will 
take his hand of attack off of you to trick you into thinking that you're doing the right thing. But when Satan decides to attack you again, there is no hand of protection to protect you from the attack because Satan is wishy-washy. You know, like them friends in your life, people that like you one day, they'll leave you alone one day, they'll talk to you nice one day, and then when they flip because on their mood, uh, they'll turn it back on you. And when Satan gets tired of being nice to you and wants to get back to afflicting you and you don't have the hand of God on you because you have not been living in obedience to the command of God, you're uncovered. Job has a hedge of protection. Everybody say a hedge of protection. Because he is living in obedience to God. And Satan knows it. Satan knows that there are certain children of God that he can touch and certain ones that he can't. He knows that there are certain barriers that have been put in place around certain children of God that he cannot cross. And he says, that's the only reason why Job serves you. That's the only reason why he loves you. Job is good to you because you've been good to him. But if you take your hand off of him and let me have him the way I want to have him, I promise you I'll make him curse you to your face. That's, that's, that's the challenge that Satan lays out before the master. He tells God, if you take your hands off of Job, and let me get at him the way I want to. I promise you that he will curse you to your face. But God says something perplexing. Look at what he says. He says, behold, everything he has is in your power. You missed it. He says, not Job is in your power. But he says, everything he has is in your power. I'm going to back. Take your hands off of Job. And I promise you that he will curse you to your face. God says, okay, have at him. Everything that he has is in your power. But you can't touch his life. God still sets a line of demarcation. He puts a barrier there that does not allow the devil to go any further than he wants him to go. So even in allowing the attack, there is still some protection there. Because Satan erroneously believes that Job's worship is based on what Job has. So God says you can have everything that he has. And because the devil is proficient and efficient in his job, he begins to systematically attack. What Job has. The Bible says that all of his cattle and his monetary possessions. Let's bring it back to 2021. His bank accounts are emptied out. He, he makes a bad investment in the stock market. And now he owes money that he used to have. He has to divest himself of all of his assets. Uh, then after he loses all of his money. He says, at least I got my family. Still got five handsome sons and five beautiful daughters. And I still got my children. And they don't always live right, Brother Herman, but uh, at least they're still alive. And as long as they're living, God got a chance to work on them. But then they're having a party at the oldest brother's house. And the Bible says that Satan sends a cyclone. And the cyclone knocks the cornerstone out of the eldest brother's house. And the whole house 
falls down on top of the children and kills all of them. And a servant comes because Satan will always send somebody to give you the bad news. Let me pause there parenthetically and give you something that will help you in your life. Uh, you have to watch out for people who are always trying to bring you bad news. Yeah, I'm in a place now where I don't want to know what people are saying about me. Uh, I don't want nobody sending me no screenshot about somebody saying a subliminal status about me. I don't need you telling me, oh, I think they're talking about you, Bishop. Oh, I think they're talking about the church. Or, oh, I think they're talking about you. I, no, no, I don't need you to do that uh, because that lets me know that you're from the devil trying to break me down. And see, you can have the best intentions and still be used by the devil. You don't believe me, but Jesus was talking to his best friend, Peter. And Peter was saying, God forbid it that you go to the cross. You ain't going to die. And what did Jesus say to his best friend? He said, get thee behind me, not Peter, Satan. For you're concerned about the things of the flesh and not the things of the spirit. People who are always trying to tell you what somebody said about you instead of handling it behind closed doors are people who are trying to get you to operate in the flesh and not in the spirit. God help me. People who are trying to get you to give a fleshly response instead of a spiritual response. And you've got to keep people like that out of your space. As a matter of fact, why are you spending so much time on social media? Why are you always on Facebook? How do you know? How do you see? Why are you listening? Why are you watching when you got so much work to do? See, Productive people don't have time to report about petty stuff. Because you can't be productive and petty at the same time. Yeah. And some of us are wondering why God won't allow us to produce. is because you got too much petty in you. And so God has to send the problems of a pandemic to remove you from being petty until you lose so much that you say, you know what, I don't care nothing about nobody else's business. I don't care nothing about anything that's going on with anybody else. I don't care about anything that anyone has to say about me. I just want to serve God, keep my mask on, put my sanitizer on, do my job, and be delivered. Yeah, one person comes and tells Job that his children have died. And one person comes and tells him. The Bible says that when Job's life falls apart, any parent here, if you had to lose one child, that would be enough to take you out. But even if you lost one and you still had nine, and that void would never quite be filled. You'd have something to live for for the other nine. But Job does not just lose one child. He loses all of his children. And if you lose all your children, but you still got a bunch of wealth, you might be able to bury yourself in work to anesthetize the pain of loss. But Job has lost all of his business. He's lost his family. His life has fallen apart. Everything around him has fallen down. And the Bible says that in response to Job's life falling apart, Job does something interesting. That's what brings us to the circumference of our text. Verse 20, he says, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. Then Job arose, tore his robe, 
shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. I, I got to park there uh, because there's something about Job's response that blesses us. Number one, Job teaches us, first of all, when it all falls down, number one, the first thing you've got to do is get up. The Bible says, then Job arose. Yeah. Life had brought Job to his knees. But he didn't allow his pain to keep him there. The Bible says the first thing that Job did was he got up. God help me. And see, some of us need to understand that the problem that we have, the situation that we're dealing with, the things that we're going through, it was designed by the devil to immobilize you and to put you down so that you would not be able to recover. But you've got to understand that if you believe in God and if you've been empowered by the indwelling presence of the life-giving King, the Holy Spirit, if you've been given the Spirit of God, then in the midst of your trials, you've got the ability to get up God help me and I don't know who I'm preaching to I don't know where you are I don't know where you're watching this from but the word of the Lord over your life is to stop tripping stop laying down stop wallowing in your bed of affliction pull them covers off from over the top of your face and get up now wash your face brush your hair brush your teeth get ready for work and act like God has been good to you in spite of what you've gone through get up now Bible says Job arose. Look at somebody and say, get up. But not only does Job tell us that we must get up, uh, the Bible says that when it all falls down, we have to give it up. Everybody say, give it up. Because the Bible says that Job tore his robe. He rent his garment. Yeah. He tore his robe. Now, you don't understand this because you don't uh, understand the significance of the robe. Job is wearing a robe because in that day, robes were a symbol of his authority and his position. That even though he had lost all of his possessions, if he put his robe on and walked into the city, he would still be treated good because the robe showed that he was a certain class of person. It signified that Job had a certain social status, that he had a certain level of clout, that he had a, a certain uh, position in society. But Job says, I'm in a position now where what I have and who people think I am and what people believe me to be no longer matters. And I'm going to tear this robe because I want God to know that I'm in a place now where I understand that my position and my possessions cannot help me. Yeah. Yeah. The robe signified his position. But the material of the robe also spoke to the level of his possession. Because unlike us in that culture, they would not dress bigger than their bank account. Yeah, the, the clothes that they wore on their body signified how much wealth they actually have. So if he had a robe, let's say, that cost $1,200, that meant that he had incrementally more than that or exponentially more than that in his bank account. So when Job tears his expensive robe, he's saying, not only am I disregarding my position, but I'm also disregarding my possession. I'm saying that I'm in a place now where, where people think of what people think about me cannot help me deal with this pain. The stuff I have cannot help me deal with this pain. And I'm tearing this robe up so God knows that the only thing that I'm putting my faith in, my trust in, is him. Yeah. 
He gets up, but then he gives it up. He says, God, these possessions don't mean anything. And some of us, listen to me, some of us, God has allowed us to lose some stuff because God is trying to deliver you from, this, from the sin of materialism. Yeah. Some of us are so caught up on what we have, how much money we got saved up, how good we're investing. Uh, we're so caught up in those things uh, that we can't really give God what we want to give him. And so what God does is he allows you to lose the thing that you've been depending on, placing your value in, so that you understand that my value and my strength comes not from who people think I am and from what I have, but it comes from God. Yeah, if your value only comes from what you have, then when you lose it, your value is assaulted. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's why you should never identify yourself based on what you do and what you have. Some of us find too much identity in our jobs. That's why we lose them. Some of us find too much identity in our jobs. That's why that job is getting on our nerves and making our hair fall out and stressing us to death. Some of us find too much identity in our possession. That's why every time you log into your bank account, you got less money than you thought you had. It is not because you can't budget. You know how to count. You know how to spend right. It's because God is trying to get your mind off of what you have and who you think you are. You need to be able to give it up so that God can give you what you really need. But not only does Job get up, not only does Job give it up, the Bible says, then Job arose, tore his robe. Then, this is interesting, pay attention here, it says he shaves his head. He, he shaves his head. Um, you have to understand now contextually Job is not in the 21st century. Job is in the 1st century where a head full of hair was considered a badge of honor. Yeah, Job's hair, a man's hair was considered a badge of honor. Uh, even to the point, 2 Kings, where bald-headedness was considered an insult. It was so insulting that there were some children that were making fun of Elisha the prophet as he was going up the mountain. They were insulting him, Brother Herman. They said, go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. Making fun of the fact that because of his age and because his hair was thinning up top, he didn't have any hair on his head. They were making fun of him for that and the Bible says that that was so insulting and so disrespectful that God caused two she-bears or two wolves to come out of the woods and devour the children for calling the prophet bald-headed. Read it when you get home. Uh, bald-headedness spoke to a man's ability to cover his house. Men did not wear at that time a head covering. The yarmulke had not yet been instituted, so the hair on your head was your covering. But when Job shaves his head in the time of grief, he is acknowledging that he no longer has the ability to cover his house because everything in his house has been destroyed. And he's saying now that the only thing I have is God. So not only when it all falls down must you get up, not only when it falls down must you give it up, but when it all falls down, number three, you must look up. Because when Job shaves his head, he is looking up to God and saying, can't nobody help me through this 
but God. And I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you've been at the end of your rope and your friends could not help you, where the people in your life could not help you, where your pastor didn't have a word for you, where a prophet couldn't prophesy you out of it. You couldn't sow a seed big enough to get you out of it. You were just frustrated. You were broke. You were disgusted with your life and no one around you could help you. It is in those moments that you do not throw up your hands in the classic gesture of despair, but you look up to God and say, my faith looks up to thee, Lamb of God who died for me. You got to be able to say, God, I'm trusting in you. You are my strength. You are my covering. You are my shield. David said it like this, when his world was falling down because his beloved son, his junior, the one that looked just like him, betrayed him and stole his kingdom and his best friend had turned on him and sided with his rebellious son and everything around him had fallen down. Psalm 3, David says, but thou, O Lord, God, help me, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. When everything falls down around you, you've got to be able to declare that God is a shield for me. And I don't know who I'm preaching to. You might be watching this in your living room or listening to this while you're driving in your car. You might be seated in the sanctuary today. Is there anybody here who's ever gotten to a place where you had to declare that God is your shield? God, help me. Oh, can't nobody protect me but him. I don't know how I'm going to come out of this. God, help me. Is there anybody here who made it through the pandemic and you know that the reason why you made it through the pandemic wasn't because you weren't immunocompromised. It was not because you had the best health regimen. It was not because you shouldn't have got sick. It wasn't because you was around everybody that washed their hands and sanitized. The reason why you recovered if you got sick and the reason why some of us didn't get sick at all is because God was your shield. God, help me. People all around you were losing their mind and giving into depression and anxiety and losing the battle with pressure and trial and tribulation. The reason why you're still standing ain't because you had a good therapist. It ain't because you had somebody to talk to. It's not even because you took your antidepressant. The reason why you made it is because he was your shield. God help me. You better testify in the midst of pain, in the midst of problems that millions didn't make it. God, I feel like preaching now. But I'm one of the ones that did. And the reason why I made it is because God was my shield. And that's why I look up in the midst of trouble. That's why I look up in the midst of pain. That's why I look up when I'm going through hell. Because I know that God will protect me. When mother and father can't do nothing about it. When my friends walk away from me. When folk leave the church. When people turn their back on you. You got to be able to say, God, you're my shield. He says, it says, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. He says, when it all falls down, beloved, I'm almost through now. He says, when it all falls down, you've got to get up. Everybody say, get up. But then after you get up, you've got to give it up. Everybody say, give it up. But then after you give it up, you've got to look up. Yeah, say, look up. Look at somebody and say, look up. Yeah, stop looking at your problem and look up. Stop looking at your pain and look up. Stop looking at your checkbook trying to balance the figures out and look up. Stop looking at all those bills you have and look up. Stop stressing out about what happened in the past and look up. Stop trying to get better about what, uh, try, stop trying to make stuff better that you cannot fix and look up. You've got to look up, but after you get up, give it up and look it up. This is the last one and I promise I'm done. After you get up, after you give it up, after you look up, Job says, you've got to lift him up. 
Because the Bible says, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. Uh, oh, God. I, I want to preach this, Candace, like I preached this when I was a young preacher, but I know a little bit more. I've been to a little bit of school. So I've got to preach it right. Because I would jet straightway into the Lord gate. And that would be my clothes. He, I, I would clothes there. The Lord gave her and the Lord take away. Yeah, I would, I would rush there, but I can't because that would be irresponsible. Uh, because Job, in his worship, teaches us a truth about worship. Because the Bible says in order for him to start worship, he has to change his posture. But it is a posture that he had at the beginning of the text. Because he got up at the beginning of verse 20 in response to his problem. But to start worship, he falls to the ground. And it is not the position that determines worship. It is the motivation behind the position that determines worship. You are not worshiping when life knocks you to your knees and you wallowing in the flow crying about what happened to you. That's not worship. You know, we know people that every time worship starts, they cry. You know, uh, every time a song plays, they cry. You're not in worship if the motivation behind your tears is not the goodness and the greatness of God. If you're crying because you need to be on the altar, then you need to get delivered. That ain't worship. That's a stronghold. If every time you come in the presence of God, you bawling and crying because you know you slept with somebody you ain't had no business sleeping with, you drank something too much, you smoked something too much, you did something you ain't had no business doing, that ain't worship. That might be repentance if you change, but it's not worship. Worship is not just you being on your knees. Worship is what brings you to your knees. And when Job falls down on his knees, prostrate, he is bowing himself in submission to the will of God. He is literally declaring through his posture, God, I accept what you've allowed. God, help me. See, some of us don't want to worship because worshiping God means to accept life the way that it is and hope that he changes it to what you want it to and then still deciding that if he doesn't change it, he's still worthy. When Job puts himself on the ground, he's bowing himself in submission to the will of God. He's saying, my children may not come back, but you're still worthy. I may not ever get rich again but you still deserve it I may not ever get anything back that I lost but God you're still worthy of honor and glory I'm bowing myself in submission to your will and maybe that's what God is trying to do to you in this pandemic maybe God is trying to teach you how to accept what he is allowing. God, help me. I'm talking to some pastor now that's watching me live. Uh, God says you got to learn how to accept what God is allowing. I, I'm preaching to somebody now who's wondering when things are going to turn around on that job and when things are going to turn around in that relationship. You might not ever financially recover, but when you lay prostrate before God in your house, at the altar of God, in your living room, wherever you are, when you lay down on the ground in worship, you are saying, God, no matter what happens, I know you're going to keep me.
I know you're going to keep me. Worship starts with a change of posture. He lays down in submission to the will of God, literally declaring to God physically through his posture, Lord, have your way. Have your way in this situation. Whatever you do, it might not feel good, but it's good for me. And if it's good for me, I'll endure it until I see it. He lays out. He falls to the ground and worships. But not only does worship uh, include a change of posture. Uh, worship includes a defiant proclamation. There is no such thing as silent worship. Because even if you're not speaking while you worship, your worship says something. Worship makes a proclamation. He bows in submission. But then he opens his mouth and says something. He, he literally just in, uh, begins singing a song of worship. But the words to the song uh, are not stellar award-winning lyrics. <laughs> They're not something penned by Todd Delaney or Kirk Franklin or Todd Galbraith, Tasha Cobbs. Not something that you were really bumping your car when you riding down the road. It's not even something that you would put on in your prayer time to set the mood. Job starts his worship song with an interesting proclamation. Naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. What? He says, in worship, naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. In order to understand now how he opens up this worship song, you have to remember that he's speaking in worship in response to what has just happened to him. What is the first thing that he lost in the text? The first thing he lost was all of his possessions. And so he puts his possessions in their proper place. He says, when I got here, I ain't have nothing. And when I go home, I can't take none of it with me. And some of us need to learn how to put stuff in its proper place. The reason why we're irritated and agitated is because we've given possessions too high of a position in our life. Not understanding that possessions and money and income and investments and savings and stocks and bonds and property are only resources that God gives you for the furtherance of his glory on earth. If you're not using your income for the glory of God, then you are misusing God's resources. And so God says, sometimes I've got to strip you of things. Things so that you understand that what you have is not important because you didn't bring it with you and you can't take it with you. It says, naked came I from my mother's womb. Wasn't born a millionaire. Was born with nothing. And when I die, I can't take my millions with me. Jesus echoes this when he says, store up not for yourselves treasures on earth where moth can corrupt, where dust and rust can destroy. But store up for yourselves rather treasures in heaven. Where moth can't corrupt. And rust cannot destroy. It is not a sin to be rich. But it is a sin to put your trust in riches. 
Not a sin to have possessions, but it is a sin to put your trust in possessions. It's not a sin to have a lot, but it's a sin to make your life about the acquisition of wealth and not about the acquisition of God's glory. Yeah. He says, naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. Then he says about his children, about his babies. As he's at the funeral, with not one, not two, but ten caskets laid out front. Job, is there anything you want to say about your babies? Want to give you a minute to speak as their father over their legacy, their lives? Even Job, we're going to give you a chance. You know, I, I imagine that it probably was a black funeral because they gave him a chance to vent his emotion and expression and to cry and to scream. Job stands over the casket. And when he gets ready to give his words, doesn't talk about how gifted of an athlete his sons were or how beautiful his daughters were, how intelligent they were, how much they were destined for greatness. Job comforts himself by declaring this simple truth. The Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away. Job, what about all your hopes and dreams for your children? What about all the things that you had planned? I know you had put away an inheritance for them. I know that there were things that you wanted to do and see them do. And you were planning, Job, on having some grandchildren one day, right? Uh, Job, what do you got to say about that? I, I'll say this. The Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away. Now, Z, that presented for me a problem. Because I can read. And because I can read, when I read the story... The story does not say that the Lord took away. Now, I can understand in Genesis through creation theory that God did give. But based on the text, God didn't do the taking. Satan did the taking. That messed me up, Brother Herman. Because it seems to me that you're blaming God for something that the devil has done. And so I had to have a conversation with Job. I... Uh, got down in my prayer closet and I had to speak with Job about it. I said, Job, you've got to explain this thing to me. You and God are tight. Y'all got a good relationship. Why would you blame God for something that clearly the text says the devil did? Job said, uh, Bishop, I want to help you with something. Uh, when you walk past a construction site and you see a building going up and there's all kinds of construction equipment around the building. You don't congratulate the crane for putting together the building. He said, matter of fact, Bishop, let me bring it home for you doing a renovation project in your church. When the church got renovated, uh, they used hammers, right? I said, yes. He said, they used nails, did they not? I said, yes. They used screws and screwdrivers and saws. He said, when you walk through that construction site, getting in the way of all them folk doing their work, uh, you wasn't patting the saw saying, good job, saw. You didn't pick up the hammer and say, oh, good job, hammer. This is a mighty fine hammer. And I said, no, I didn't. He said, you know why? He said, because even if the tool does the work, the credit does not go to the tool. It goes to the one who is using the tool to do the work. God, help me. 
And I understood even in the midst of my affliction that even though Satan had been used to touch me, he was just a tool in the hand of God to accomplish God's purpose for my life. And I dare not give the devil credit for what God is doing, even if he's using a devil to do it. God help me. And some of us need to stop giving the devil credit for what God is doing in our life. Stop talking about your haters. Stop bringing up people that hurt you. Stop bringing up people that offended you. Stop holding grudges and learn how to do like Job and say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away they walked away from it the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away they hurt my feelings the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away they stabbed me in the back the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away they ruined my reputation the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away sickness in my body the Lord gave and the Lord has taken can't pay my bill the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away the church used to be full but now it's empty the Lord gave God help me and the Lord has taken away and I'm not going to give the devil credit for what God is doing he said naked came I this is a worship song now this is verse 1 naked came I from my mother's womb naked shall I return that's verse 1 verse 2 says the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away but Joe how you going to finish it don't leave us on a cliffhanger Joe don't don't leave us there with a sad ending. How are you going to end this worship song? Tell us how we should respond to God when it all falls down. You told us we have to lift him up. Job, I see you talking about your problems, but where are you lifting him? And Job says, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you hanging. Verse 1 says, naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. Verse 2 says, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. He said, but... Every good church song got a good vamp. He said, and the vamp is, blessed, God help me. Be the name of the Lord, God help me. I, I don't know who I'm preaching to now, but, but somebody needs to understand that in the midst of your problem, in the midst of your pain, the refrain of your life, the driving force behind your life needs to be an attitude, an attitude that says, blessed, God help me here. Be the name of the Lord. I know it hurts, but you've got to declare it. Blessed, be the name. God help me of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look at your problems and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay. Ah, uh, he said, Blessed. Not be the Lord. But be the name of the Lord. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent so that you don't have to be. You can still keep your church face on. You can still front. Uh, there are some Negroes, I mean people, uh, who have irritated me so bad that I don't even want to hear their name. Don't say their name around me. You know what I'm saying? Now, I, I have a little bit different perspective than most of you. I, I don't know all of your story, but my story uh, is altogether different, I'm sure, than most of y'all. I've been doing this, what I'm doing now. Uh, pastoring somebody since I was 19 years old and my birthday is in a couple weeks um, and I'm not close to 19 as a matter of fact I was telling my wife the other day that uh, next year it'll be 20 something years since I've been out of high school uh, and it made me feel real old uh, it made me feel so old Kim that I unfollowed my class reunion group on Facebook because I'm tired yeah <laughs> but I've been doing <laughs> I've been doing what I'm doing now for a long time. 
yeah. And, and over the course of me doing this, people uh, will say they love you, then walk away from you. They'll come to your house, eat out your refrigerator, and then you can't find them no more. You'll loan them money to pay their bills, and then they'll walk away talking about you church hurt them, but they won't talk about how you church helped them. Uh, you'll let people borrow your car, and they'll mess it up, and you got to get it fixed. And then they'll leave you talking about you lying on you. I mean, I've been doing this for almost 20 years. And in the midst of that, there were some Negroes, I'm forgiven, you know, I got to forgive because I got to be forgiving because I am forgiven, right? And saints don't hold grudges, right? Uh, but yet and still, I may not hold a grudge, but there's just some Negroes, I mean people, that I don't want to hear their name. Their name irks me to the point where if I hear their name, it just shift my whole mood. But Job says God afflicted him with the worst trouble he's ever felt in his life. And he doesn't say, bless the Lord. He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name. He says that when I hear his name, his name is good. Now, theologically, we understand that the Hebrews so reverence the name of God that they would not say God's proper name. And so they would ascribe different names to him, El Elyon, the Ancient of Days, Elohim, God. They would call him El Shaddai, the All-Breasted One, the Ever-Living God. They would call him Je Jehovah Jireh. Uh, but in this particular passage, when he says the name of the Lord, he is speaking about, that's why many of us believe that Moses, the same Moses that wrote the book of Genesis, is the one that wrote this particular story. Because when he says the name of the Lord, he is using the name that was revealed to Moses in the burning bush. It is not... El Shaddai, it is not El Elyon, it is not Elohim, it is not Jireh, it is not Mekadesh, it is not Nisi. It is that same name that God told Moses. When Moses asked, I'm about to go before Pharaoh who thinks he's a God, and so I can't just say God sent me. Who should I say sent me? And God reveals himself to Moses with this name. Echayer Asher Echayer. Yud He Vav He. Y H W H. It is the tetragrammaton that means I am that I am. He says, Blessed be that name. Why is the name Yahweh? God help me. I am that I am. Why is that name blessed? Because all that means is I am whatever you need me to be at the moment you need me to be it. God, help me. If I call him Jireh all the time, I may not always need him, a, need him to be a provider because I might have so much money that I can provide for myself. If I call him Nisi, I might not always need him to be a banner because sometimes my enemies will have left me alone. But if I call him Yahweh, I am that I am, I can celebrate him in every situation.
because he becomes whatever I need him to be. Now, why was that important for Moses and the people? Because they were getting ready to go into a desert where they did not know the issues and the problems that they were going to face. And so God had to reveal himself in a way that would prophetically declare to them that no matter what they faced in Kadesh Barnea, they were going to be all right. When you're thirsty, he's water from a rock. When you need sunlight, he'll make the sun stand still. When you're sick, he'll be a brass serpent on a pole in the wilderness. When you're hungry, he'll be manna from heaven. When you get tired of eating manna, he'll be quail falling from the sky. God says, I am that I am. And when Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord, he's saying, blessed be that name. Because I don't know how I'm going to get through this situation. I don't know how I'm going to come out of this situation. But God is going to be whatever I need him to be. And that needs to be your testimony through it all. That's how I lift him up. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I don't know who I'm preaching to in here today, but you better find a way in the midst of your problem to say I am or he is that I am. He's the great I am. God help me that I am. Yeah. He says I am your provider. I am your protector. I am your peace. I am your shield and buckler. I am your friend. I am. See, some of y'all don't get that. That's too biblical. I am your antidepressant. I, I am your marriage counselor. I, I am your therapist. I, I, I am your doctor. I, I am your cardiologist, Bishop. I, I am your friend. When ain't nobody there for you, I am your parental support. I am your child support. When daddy ain't doing what he's supposed to do, I am that I I am that I am that I am and if that's ever been your testimony then you ought to be able to say like Job I feel it now you ought to be able to say like Job blessed be the name of the Lord and is there anybody here who can say I'm going through a pandemic oh but I've got to learn how to bless God because my life is falling down around me Bishop you said when it all falls down oh what are we supposed to do when it all falls down well first thing you got to do when you're down in your bed of affliction look at your neighbor and say get up oh God but not only must you get up you've got to give it up you've got to tell yourself tell the world the flesh and the devil that there is nothing that I have that can protect me I need God to protect me but not only must you give it up and give it up you've got to look up you've got to look up to God and say God I trust you I don't feel like trusting you but I believe in you it doesn't feel good God but I'm believing that it's going to work out for my good but after you look up you've got to lift him up and you might be wondering how can I praise him how can I give him glory in the midst of this situation how can I find a way to praise him in the midst of all that I'm going through you've got to be able to say blessed be the name of the Lord yeah come on Justin let's have church now find somebody wherever you are and say blessed be the name of the Lord the name of the Lord is a strong wrong tower. The righteous run in and they are saved. God says whatever you need I'll be it for you. And it's interesting now that when Job was prophesying over himself when he was worshiping he said blessed be the name of the Lord because there hadn't yet been a name revealed that they could say themselves so whenever they talked about the Lord they had to say blessed be 
the name of the law. When Moses was in the wilderness, he had to say, Blessed be the name of the law. When Noah survived the flood and God parked the boat on the top of a mountain, when Noah wanted to give God praise, he didn't have a name to call. So he said, Blessed be the name of the law. When Jesus, or when Isaac, was going up the hill with his father Abraham, and they found a ram in the bush, they had to call him Jehovah Jireh because they didn't have a name. So they declared, Blessed be the name of the law. When Elijah was fighting the prophets of Baal on the mountain, he didn't have a name, a name to call. So he had to say, Blessed be the name of the law. When Elijah was going up to heaven and Elisha was watching him leaving a chariot of fire, he didn't have a name to call. So he had to say, Blessed be the name of the law. Do you hear me? There were many people that didn't have a name to call him. So they had to make up a name until a name was given. Do you hear me? Joshua called him a battering ram at the wall of Jericho. Samson called him strength. Deborah called him wisdom. Gideon called him a fleece and a battle axe in the time of battle. Jeremiah called him the rose of Sharon. Ezekiel called him a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Thank God alright. Blessed be the name of the law. But you and I we've got a privilege that Job did not have. We got a privilege that Moses did not have. We got a privilege that Joshua and the judges and all of the prophets did not have because the Bible says that 2,000 years ago God said let me remove the placeholder and give you a name and 2,000 years ago in a little manger in a town called Bethlehem there was given there was given Isaiah found out a little prematurely but he didn't even know the name King he said for unto us a child is born and unto us it ain't Christmas yet a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God and the Prince of Peace. But that's not his name. Paul said there's only one name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Is there anybody 
here that can say I'm a little bit better than Joe because I got a name. God, I feel like preaching. Maybe I wish my daddy was here so he could help me say it. But when I was a little boy, my daddy would say it this way, Keith. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing his word. It's sound like music in my ear, the sweetest 